live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Well, well, well. Look who's back. Maybe he never left. And here he is, the king. The self-proclaimed petty king. The undisputed king of the three ball. The four-time champ. The two-time MVP. The reigning finals MVP. The all-time great. At least as it relates to shooting the ball. Hey, One of the all-time greats, period. Th- this guy. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Yo, what up, Steph? Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. I know you just did it yesterday, but why don't you remind everybody just one more time what kind of a game NBA basketball is, Steph Curry? Man's game. Damn right, Steph. It's a man's game, isn't it? Man's game. It's a man's game. And my dude proved it once again. Very few have exemplified the man's game like that dude, Steph. Hey, Steph Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. And he's still doing it at age 35. 35. And in terms of who he is and what he does, nobody does what this dude does. Nobody ever has. Nobody ever will. I don't know why anybody needs reminding about Steph or his absolutely legendary game, but he just keeps going out of his way and reminding everybody nonetheless. There have been a ton of epic Steph Curry performances, especially in the postseason. Too many to count. However, yesterday may in fact have been my dude's masterpiece. His magnum opus. A 50-burger. Fitty. In a Game 7, on the road, in a hostile and delirious barn. At 35. It's the most points ever scored in a Game 7. Any Game 7, by any player, at any age, ever. And my dude just did it in that Game 7, at age 35. And he did it to bury the Beam Team alive. In their own house, right under their own giant purple laser beam. And then after he got done burying the beam team in their own house, right under that giant purple laser beam on the roof, the petty king told them to light that beam. I mean, hilarious stuff. Although I don't think they thought so, but I did. And he told them they're not ready for this bleep. And listen, while the Sacramento Kings are so far ahead of schedule, the petty king is not wrong. They weren't ready for his bleep. And him telling them to light that beam is hilarious. And all you Kings fans that were so pissed when the big head, James Kelly and I said that we both bet the Warriors after they dropped the first two games of the series. To all of you Kings fans that were coming for both, the big head and I, we both accept your apology. No harm, no foul. And for those of you who jumped in and did what the big head and I did, then you're welcome. You're welcome. As for Steph, he wasn't just sensational last night. He was completely and totally savage as well. He ripped out Sacktown's heart. He showed it to them right in the middle of their own house. Hey, remember when the dubs were in fact down two games to none in this series. And remember when that was the first time they had ever been down two games to none in a series, at least as it relates to Steph and Clay and Draymond. And remember how that was supposed to be the very end of the dynasty. Break it all up. Goodbye, Dre. Goodbye, Bob Myers. Goodbye, everybody. You remember all that? Neither do I. Neither does Steph. Neither does Kings fan. All Steph remembers is the sight of the ball going through the hoop and the sight of miserable Kings fans having their souls snatched right out their bodies. So yes, I would say that I agree with Clay Thompson's postgame analysis when he was asked about Steph and what Steph did yesterday. When he's in the zone like that, you try to just get him in his spots, get him the ball, get out the way. And uh, gosh, what an incredible performance. This is a game seven I'll forever remember as the Steph Curry game and He's just uh, a joy to watch and play with. I mean, I really, truly enjoyed just, like I said, sharing the backcourt with him. You too, dude. You too. Clay too. But that's an amazing thing for Clay Thompson to say, right? 
Quote, this is a game seven. I will forever remember as the Steph Curry game. We're talking about a couple of dudes who've been a part of a dynasty, one of the great dynasties. They've had some amazing games. Even this far down the road, Clay is saying, wow. I mean, like, damn. This is the game seven. I will always remember as the Steph Curry game. Incredible. But then again, he's not wrong, right? I mean, no kidding. Nobody's going to call that the Harrison Barnes game. That's for sure. Or the DeMontis Sabonis game. That's for sure. Or even the Darren, Darren Fox game. Or the Kevin Herter game. Or the Malik Monk game. Look, I'm not here to pile on the Kings. Once again, amazing season. They are so far ahead of schedule. They finally got over that playoff hump. They had the champs on the ropes. Their future is bright. They fought to the bitter end. But that ending was about as bitter and as brutal and as heartbreaking and devastating as it gets. Am I right, perv? My bad. Devastating and heartbreaking. Not heartbreaking and devastating. Either way, it sucked. Devastating. Heartbreaking. Hey, I meant to get to it last week. Do you see where Perv said, oh, I'm never going to coach you ever again? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Anybody who believes that is going to be devastated and heartbroken. That's devastating. Anyway, you know Sacktown, you know Sacktown. When they forced a Game 7, and when they got that thing back to their crib, you know they were ready for the biggest party ever, ever, after they won Game 6 and forced that Game 7. You know they were ready to light that beam for one of the biggest wins in the history of that franchise. You know they were ready to get over on Big Brother. You know, after all, Big Brother Brother was gassed. Monk never actually said they were old. He said that the Kings were younger and implied that they had fresher legs, they'd bounce back more quickly, and that it would be tough for Golden State because they're, well, not as young. Except Team Petty ran with that. Draymond said a point blank. He said we were old. He actually never said that, but it doesn't matter. You hear what you want to hear, and they used it to their advantage. But you know Sacramento Kings fan was ready for the biggest party ever. You know they didn't haul all their old cowbells over to the arena just to see that thing go up in flames. But then again, Steph went Steph, and he burned that entire place right to the ground. The thing about that Game 7 performance is it actually started long before the Dubs even got on the bus to make that drive back out to Sacktown. When Steph never, ever wanted to give speeches. Never. He's just not that dude. Now, when you see him in post-game interviews, he's always extremely thoughtful, extremely bright, and extremely meticulous. But he's not a speech guy. He's not that guy. He never gives speeches. Apparently, however, after that Game 6 meltdown, he gave one of the all-time great speeches. A speech that Draymond referenced on his pod after Game 7. We not going out like that. Like, we went out Game 6. We not going out like that. We have an opportunity to play in Game 7. They rare. They don't come around. Take advantage of the moment. Embrace the moment. And he went a little further in, but it was such an incredible speech. And when he finished, he said, anybody else got something? Nah, champ. It's enough said. You said it all. That's pretty awesome. Well, not for you, Kings fan, but that's pretty awesome that Steph got up there and said, we're not going out like that. We were ass. We're not going out. So he does the speech. We're not going out like that. Does anybody else have anything to say? And Draymond says, nah, 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 we're good, champ. Enough said. And it's true. There was no way Steph Curry was going out like that. No way. So instead, he shows up for Game 7 and brings one of his, if not his, single all-time greatest playoff performance. Hell, one of the all-time greatest playoff performance in the history of the league. Again, nobody had ever scored 50 in a Game 7. So what this guy just did, age 35, is almost, almost unimaginable. Now, what I'm not going to do is sit here today and argue about whether he's better than LeBron or who's where on the top 10 list of all-time greats because this show is a hell of a lot better than that. This show is not as lazy as that. We're not doing that. But I know this. Steph is on that list. Steph 
is in the top 10. Steph is not, not only is he top 10, he's not number 10. And he still may be climbing. And he might have hopped up another spot on the strength of last night alone. And if he beats LaCap in the next round, he may climb another rung or two on that top, top 10 ladder. Because at this point, I don't know who can stop this guy. And I'm with Steph. I hope we never find out. Who can stop Steph Curry? Hopefully we'll never find out. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. I'm not sure who can stop this guy. I'm not seeing any slippage at all at 35. But I do know. I don't know who can stop him, but I do know LeBron got next. And even at their advanced ages, this is pretty unbelievable. And going into the series, it's damn near a toss-up. Who you got? Who you got? It's going to be epic. But I would be hard-pressed to think that it can be any more epic than the self-proclaimed Petty King dropping Fitty in Game 7 on the road. How do you beat that? The day Steph reminded everybody once and f- once again, I was going to say once and for all, but I don't think so. I don't know that he's got that in him again, but who's to say he doesn't? Either way, he reminded everybody that more than anything else, it is in fact... All together now, a man's game. Man's game. And the day Steph dropped the hammer on the beam. I mean, honestly, Kings fan, right now, it feels like Steph ended the beam. R.I.P. B. R.I.P. Beam. All good things come to an end. Maybe take that nice beam, put it on the sidewalk, hang a sign around that beam's neck, which reads, if you can haul it, you can have it. It just feels like every time you hit that button going forward, it's not going to remind you of a king's win, but rather it's going to put a pit and a pain in your stomach over a Steph 50-burger. Man's game. What are you going to think the next time you hit that beam? That? I know we will. Maybe you let Steph bring it home and he can blast that thing in his front yard every time he goes for 50. Check it out, kids. Daddy got another 50. Listen, there's a lot of other gimmicks. Rallying cries. I mean, think about where you went. Way back in the day, yours was a cowbell. And then enough time went by and technology advanced that you got yourself a beam. Like, the beam, frankly, is the 2023 cowbell, right? But then Steph just ripped it. So you got to reinvent. Sidebar, reinvention project will be up soon. New episode. You got to reinvent. You know, you went from the cowbell to the beam. There, There are other things. It doesn't have to only be the beam. There's the rally cap. There's the rally monkey. There's Timmy Trumpet. There's the terrible towel. There are whiteouts. You follow me here? For the 2024 season and beyond, how about maybe you throw it back? Everything comes back in style again. 
Maybe you throw it back. You know how that was like the biggest light beam ever? Maybe you throw it back and you construct the biggest cowbell ever. Follow me on this. Maybe a big enough cowbell that astronauts can both see it and hear it from the moon. And then after you win, you ring that thing. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Or maybe, if that's too costly, how about you commission all the local dirt farms to grow the biggest tumbleweed known to man. And then you can drop that thing in the streets and have it roll from Golden One to the State Capitol building like Indiana Jones. Cars getting squashed, rubble everywhere, children screaming. But not from fear of getting pancaked, but from the pure excitement and joy of another regular season Kings win and a gigantic tumbleweed rolling downhill and gathering more weed as it goes and getting bigger. Tumbleweed, tumbleweed, tumbleweed. Thanks, man. You know I love you. We're just having a little bit of fun here because y'all were coming so hard for the big head and I when we were right. I'm sorry I was right. It sucks when I'm right. I know this. That's right. Just having some fun. And then we get with pretty much everybody wanted except for Kings fan, Lakers, Golden State. Steph, LeCap. It's going to be awesome. Going to be absolutely awesome. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Tom Telesco. Tom, good to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Really good to have you, Tom. Thanks for doing it. So each year and each draft, obviously, very different. How did you approach this one? And then how did you feel coming out of the draft? Well, us and 31 other teams, we always feel great coming out of the draft. I mean, 11 years of of being a GM and 28, 29 years in the league. I mean, there's never been a draft you come out of that you don't feel good about. Um, But as, as we went into this draft, you know, it's really based on where your roster is, and, and we feel like we have a relatively strong roster. I mean, it's not like it's uh, not like we don't have some holes here or there, but we really felt like as far as starting roles, we, we had a, a team that could line up and play tomorrow. Um, so the draft for us is really trying to increase our depth at some competition in some places, uh, maybe some players will maybe have some bigger roles down the road. But it was, it was nice to go into a draft and um, just kind of let it come to us and not feel like there was any certain position that we had to, to uh, make sure we hit on. So, you know, all in all, went pretty well. And then when we get guys in here for uh, off-season program and training camp, we'll kind of see how it plays out after that. That all makes sense. Tom Telesco joining us. So why don't we talk about a couple of guys you got. You went with wide receiver Quentin Johnson with the 21st pick overall. Seems like a big play guy. He can get you some yards after the catch. What else do you like about him? And then what are your expectations for him in his rookie season? Yeah, you know, really interesting player for us and, and, and you know, really a, a true junior, three years in college and in and, and this day and age, especially with, with the different COVID um, uh, rules now. I mean, we have a lot of kids coming out four or five and even six years of college football. So he's still very young, um, with just three years at TCU. And, you know, this is a, a big recruit out of high school, five-star recruit. But, you know, he also has for us like five-star intangibles, like his makeup, his work ethic is outstanding. And uh, he's, a, he's a big receiver who has some explosive ability to him, especially coming off the ball and pushing it downfield. And he, what you had mentioned is um, he brings a lot of run-after-catch yards um, to our offense. So, you know, as Kellen Moore, our new offensive coordinator, he's kind of putting things together. Um, you know, that's going to be a big part of it, too. And, you know, we've got to have a, we have a pretty strong receiver room. You know, it depends what, what receiver sets we have out there. Um, we'll see what kind of role that Quinton has this year. Um, but, you know, we love his size, his physicalness, and, and his speed. And, you know, he's going to have to kind of get up to speed on the, on the nuances of playing the, the receiver position at this level. 
Um, we have an excellent receiver coach, Chris Beatty, and then obviously you walk into a room with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, you're going to learn a lot. So, uh, you know, we're really excited to have him. You know, Tom, to that point, I want to be very careful. I mean, you always want to be careful with comparisons, but does he in any way remind you of Mike Williams? Uh, you know, they're, to, to me, they're, they're just different players. Uh, we, we love Mike Williams. Mike, Mike should be a Pro Bowl receiver. Um, that, that, that's how we see him. Um, outstanding player. But, uh, you know, they're probably a little bit different styles other than, you know, their size is pretty similar. Um, but, you know, Quinton's got a little ways to go here. Um, but we just think he's got a, a lot of talent. A lot of skills to work with, and then uh, the work ethic and makeup is just really, really good. We're talking to Tom Telesco. Tom, how unusual is it? You get three guys from TCU, and I understand why when you look at the three guys. Max Duggan's one of those guys. I spoke with him last week. Obviously, his play and the season he just had speak for themselves. But when you look at him on tape, what do you see and what do you like best about him? I'll tell you what, real quick, you know, we have three players from TCU. The Rams took two players from TCU, so we can basically just charter a plane from Dallas-Fort Worth <laughs> to Los right. Angeles That's to bring funny. these players in. Uh, yeah, Max was a, is a really fun player to watch. I think a lot of people had a chance to see him on TV this year just with, with the run that they made. Um, you know, a four-year starter there, you know, tough, gritty, physical, fast. I mean, he ran four, five, six in the 40, and, and – and, you know, it's not typical that when you talk about a quarterback, those are the first four things you say, but um, he just has those uh, really high-level traits um, as a dual-threat quarterback. Um, he has really good arm strength. So we think he's someone that can come in and we can work with. He's got a lot of tools to work with as a quarterback. Um, but you know, watching him play in college and how he moves the team and then what a threat he is um, in the red zone um, as a runner, um, really interesting player, and it'll give, give him a chance to come in and compete. Tom Telesco is joining us. Tom, speaking of quarterbacks, Justin Herbert said last week that he hopes to do some, quote, light throwing soon, as soon as he comes back from that procedure that he had on his left shoulder. What has he told you about how he's progressing, and then what's his outlook for training camp this summer? Well, it feels really good right now. Everything is on track. Um, yeah, he'll start some probably some light throwing. I'm not sure if it's this week or next week, but start some light throwing then and kind of progress that through uh, the month of May and June. Um, your expectations for training camp is he'll be, he'll be right on schedule. Um, so everything is positive in that, that regards. So from a business standpoint, you also exercised the fifth year of his rookie deal as expected, meaning he's under contract for another couple of years. you got plenty of time, obviously, to work on an extension. Do you have any kind of time frame with which when you want to get this done? No, not, not really. Um, you know, we know that contracts of this magnitude you know, may take some time, um, but uh, both uh, Justin and, and us know that, that uh, we both want to get something done. So we'll start get moving on that, probably more so now that the, uh, that the free agency is over, the draft is over, kind of get that moving. But, uh, you know, we, we have them under contract this year and next year. Um, so really no, no time frame, but, uh, you know, sooner the better for me. Tom Telesco is joining us. Tom, one more thing about that. Well, in a business standpoint, you had told Chargers team insider Lindsey Theory that nobody called about Austin Eckler. He had previously asked for a trade. I mean, I know how strongly you feel about him as a player, as a person. How would you describe his headspace right about now? Uh, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to, to talk to him lately. Um, but, uh, like, this is uh, – you know, part part of my job is is dealing with uh, with salaries, and it's uh, it's it's a challenge, and um, something that you know whether you are a a player, a coach, a scout, a front office executive, you know, support staff member, it's probably some point in your career uh, that you felt like you weren't paid appropriately, and that's that's just and I'm sure that happens in every business. That that just isn't football. Uh, I was telling somebody the other day when I was when I was with the Colts, it was probably my fifth year in the league, second year there. I remember Bill Polian gave me a um, an offer, quote unquote offer, and I looked at it and I was like, man, you know, I, like, I you know, I, I thought I was you know more value than than what I was going to be paid there, and it bothered me for a little bit, and then you know, I kind of got over it, and um, you know, luckily for me, things you know worked out fine. Um, but I also knew like at that point, like. You know, I just didn't have the perspective that Bill had at that point as, as GM where, look, there's a lot of factors that go into salaries. It's not always necessarily how the organization feels about you. And, you know, when I was a younger scout, I probably didn't have that perspective. I have that now sitting in the seat where you have to deal with a lot of salaries for a lot of people. Um, uh, but in the end, look, there was never any intent or interest in, in trading him. You know, we love him. We, we want him here as a big part of our team. So we'll get things, uh, you know, worked out and hopefully all, all for the good. We're talking to Tom Telesco. That's a really interesting story. Hey, Tom, so when you got that offer and you weren't really pleased with that offer, did you then get permission to seek a trade? 
<laughs> well, anybody who worked for Bill, it does not work like that, you know, especially in that, that day and age. Like, you, he slides a number in front of you, and you, you either take it or, or, like, you know, or I'm looking for work somewhere else. Um, but, again, like, you know, I was probably, I don't know, 25, 26 years old, um, you know, just no perspective on the business at that point of, of, of the front office, the scouting world and all that. So, yeah, there, there was no uh, – yeah, the, the way Bill worked was it's here, and if not here, then uh, good luck somewhere else. He, he was a strong, strong presence, an intimidating yes, presence. It's a moment of thought since you mentioned that. It's, it's, it's really unusual, but Jim Irsay has become one of the more talked-about people in sports on this show. I'll be honest. I can't get enough of the man. I cannot get enough of the man. I feel like we're talking more about the Colts now than even back in the – day with Peyton Manning and when you were there what was it like to work for him he's outstanding you need to have him on the show um yeah he's he's great because first of all he's as you can tell he's so passionate about football he's passionate about the Colts I love that he's passionate about the history of football um but uh and he's just he's so knowledgeable about the game um and I think that's fun I think that that organization has always been very well run uh, from Bill Polian all the way through now to, to Chris Ballard um, you know, the quarterback they, they draft is going to be exciting to watch. Uh, but that's, that's, that's Jim Irsay. I mean, he's, he's just – he loves the game. He loves the Colts. He's uh, very intelligent about the X's and O's of the game. And uh, he was a, just a tremendous owner to work for. Straight up, I love to hear it. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. He is the GM of the LA Chargers, and he just completed his 11th, 11th wrap with the team. He is Tom Telesco. Tom, always appreciate you coming on the show, making time for us. Great to have you back. Thank you very much for it. Anytime. Thanks, Jim. Take care. You too. Good talking to you, Tom, always. Tom Telesco. Love that. Great story. Great anecdote about how he was offered a deal a few years in, and he's like, whoa, what? Really? That, that's my offer? Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Sorry, half chouts. Let's get into it. Like, if there's one thing that I've always been very careful about, and I've made this point time and time again, because I'm not that guy, I'm very careful when it comes to athletes, teams, And that's throwing around the word choke, the C word, because it's essentially the harshest thing that you can say about an individual athlete or a team. The only thing worse than calling somebody or a team a choker is calling them a quitter. Choking means they at least tried. Quitter means they just shut it down and they quit. And from day one, what's the first thing that you're taught as an athlete? Literally from day one. Don't quit. Never quit. Never, ever quit. Losing is fine. Getting hammered is fine. It'll happen. Choking, it's not ideal, but that'll happen. But you can't quit, no matter what. So those two things, like the scarlet letter, but I'm very, very, very careful about calling somebody a choker. I've only done that a handful of times in my career. I think about that before I do it. I don't throw that word around very often. I just don't know what other way... Or what other word to use to describe what the Boston Bruins just did? If that's not a choke, what is? Right? If that's not a choke, what is? If that's not a choke, then choking doesn't exist. But it does. And again, it's even more painful to me because as many of you know, I'm half chowed. You could argue that half of me died when the Bruins flamed against the Panthers. Half of me is dead, yo. Half of me. I'm half dead. I'm half dead inside. Which goes to show you just how strong I really am. I don't look it, but I am. Because look, I'm still here. I'm still here doing this show, and it's a damn good show, and I'm half dead. Find me another host that can do a three-hour show solo, half dead. You can't. But I am half dead. Because I'm half chowed. I'm telling you, chowed town, my half fam... You know this hurts me as much as it hurts you. Well, maybe not that much. Maybe it hurts me half as much as you. Because I'm half-chowed. 
but it still hurts me to say that the Bruins completely choked away their historic season because they totally did choke away their historic season. Their historic, one-of-a-kind, never-been-done-before, all-time great regular season. I mean, we are talking about the best regular season team in NHL history here. Not a figure of speech. The best. The team with the most wins, the team with the most points ever in a National Hockey League regular season just blew a 3-1 series lead to the Florida Panthers to crash and burn right out of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Burning. I watched it all happen. I mean, this is my fam. Well, my half fam. I watched it in full. Well, I watched half of it. No, that's not true. I did watch it in full, even though I'm half fam. What I'm saying to you is I watched the entire thing happen, and I still can't believe it happened. And they didn't just blow a 3-1 series lead and lose three games in a row to the Panthers. They blew third-period leads in Game 6 and Game 7, and they blew a one-goal lead with a minute to go in Game 7 at home. Boston was a mere 60 seconds away from surviving the scare and avoiding arguably the single biggest choke job in league history. And then this happened. Keeps it moving. Montour holds it down. Played for Kachuk. Back to the goal. Kachuk. Far side for Hagee. To the top. Barkov. Barkov. Put it in. They score! Brandon Montour! He snuck it short side on Swayman! And in the final minute, the Panthers have tied game seven. Half fam. How quiet did it get there? That was eerie. Eerie. But even at that point, it still was not over. Boston had blown a 3-1 series lead. Third period leads in game six and seven. But they still had one more chance to pull out of it. To pull it out and avoid going down in history with the biggest gaggers and chokers. And I don't just mean in that sport. I mean in any sport. It was that bad. But of course, that's not how it went down. (laughs) They finished. They finished, but not in a way you want to finish. This is how it went down. First one to it, Kachuk. Hit by Carlo. Puck pops in the air, lands behind the net, right in the side of the goal. They chop away at it. Kachuk keeping it alive. Carlo can't grab it. It comes to Verhage. Turns, shoots, scores! Verhage wins the series for Florida. And this joyride ends in a Hindenburg-like ending. Had to get that in. Quote, this joyride ends in a Hindenburg-like ending. Hindenburg-like ending. Dang. Zero chill on the Nesson broadcast. Not that I blame them at all. I'm half fam, man. I feel their pain. At least half of it. Normally, this is where I might remind everybody that the Hindenburg was a catastrophic, real-life tragedy that resulted in the deaths of 36 people. Maybe we don't get too carried away with the comps between a fatal airship explosion that killed dozens and a hockey game. But today, I'm thinking about going the opposite way. Because that might have been the perfect description for what just happened to the Bruins. In fact, they could have easily just swapped in the play-by-play of the Hindenburg explosion on the Nesson broadcast. And I'm not sure that anybody would have even noticed. It bursts into flesh. Get it started. Get it started. It's rising. It's rising. Terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's burning, bursting into flames, and, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between us, this is terrible. This is the worst of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's, 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 it's I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't have done that, Alvy. But you can't tell me that the Bruin fan watching that didn't think that. The Bruin fan watching that wasn't on the verge of tears. The Bruin fan watching that wasn't thinking this is one of the worst catastrophes ever. They were one minute away... Look, it was trending so horribly, horribly, but they were still a minute away 
from surviving that game seven. And then if you survive that first round, then they come out of it and they say, hey, listen, everybody would tell you you need to survive this kind of adversity. Hey, and by the way, especially since they didn't play one game that really mattered during the regular season. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have that one must-win game. It was a boat race. They were secretariat at the Belmont. They had the best regular season ever, so they didn't have any of those tough moments during the regular season. So then when they found themselves in it, I mean really in it, they still had a way to get out of it. And they would have come out of it, and they would have hit the locker room and said, hey, listen, that was tough. They were tough. That was tough. But if you're going to advance, every team goes through something like that. They had their chance, and they did not survive. They did not advance. And then what do they have to show for that historic regular season? Man, nothing. Nothing. This goes back to that conversation we had last week. The Giannis said, it's not a failure. It's not a failure if you don't win at all. It's not a failure. Let me tell you There's something. There's no failure in sports. If you set the record for best regular season ever, and you go out in the first round to a team that barely got in, then you have nothing to show for that historic season. Nothing. In fact, probably even less than nothing. Think about this. Let me run some numbers by you, half fam. 65 wins in 82 games. 135 points. Meanwhile, the Panthers had the fewest points of any team that made the postseason in either conference. And none of that means anything because the Bruins are on their way to Cancun and the Panthers are on their way to the second round. And how devastating does this have to be for Bruins captain Patrice Bergeron, who was drafted by the team 20 years ago, never left the organization, and would appear that he's done now. Certainly, by all appearances, it looked like it afterwards, right? Stayed on the ice. I mean, I've got no idea. How can that guy, I mean, surefire Hall of Famer, not a question of if, but a matter of when. How can that guy leave on that? How can that guy walk off on that? How can that guy skate off on that? Yeah, I know. He's 37. He played the series injured. Physically, probably is done. But can that really be his last NHL game? That would be one of the most anticlimactic, sad, disappointing career endings ever in that sport. Almost in any sport. And we talk about this all the time. I... I Nary the athlete that I don't bring this up with who had a great, great career, but they never get to leave on their own terms. How many athletes walk off on their own terms? Almost none. And then there's that. So they didn't just gag it away for themselves and their fans, but for their captain. That's horrendous. Maybe not Hindenburg-level horrendous. Hindenburg-like ending. Maybe not that horrendous, but horrendous. And this is part of the reason why I say it all the time, and I always get pushback from people outside the league. But this is why I say the Stanley Cup is the hardest one of all to win. And the Bruins were just reminded of that. The regular season does not mean a damn thing. It just doesn't. Nobody is afraid of anybody. You have to earn everything. You've got to grind through every single postseason game, every single period, hell, every single shift. And the puck does take crazy bounces. This is why if you're on the lead or you're the favorite, you don't want a game seven. This is why. It's one of the biggest cliches ever, but it's so true. The puck takes crazy bounces in game seven. You do not want that game seven unless you were losing and you forced it. And most of all, being the best team in the regular season doesn't mean jack. In fact, history suggests that the last thing you want to be is the best team in the regular season, the President's Trophy winner. Hell, that all but ensures that you're going to come up short in the postseason. So if being the President's Trophy winner all but ensures that you're going to come up short in the postseason, it would stand to reason that being the greatest regular season team ever inevitably will end with the biggest choke ever. Taking nothing away from the Panthers. Good team. Gritty team. Tough as hell. Obviously playing like that, nothing to lose. Even though they were down three games to one. Taking nothing away from them. 
but taking everything away from my half fam. Neither Giannis or even LeCap would try to argue that that wasn't a failure. And judging from the looks on the faces of every one of the bees, they know. They know. And you know why? Because it was a catastrophic failure. A choke for the ages. And while it may not define them for the rest of their lives, best believe the way these guys are wired and built, NHLers in particular, it's going to stick to them for the rest of their lives because they are different. And unfortunately, so is that choke job. Different in that it was the biggest one ever. Like, hard to imagine that even happened. A team that good. But when the puck drops in the postseason, all bets are off. And it happened, and they proved it again. Half fam, sorry about that. Ending. Or half sorry about that. This is the hard thing about my job. I got to be objective and got to smack your own. Or your half own. That hurt me. That hurt me as much as it hurt you, fam. Or it hurt me half as much as it hurt you. But it's real. Where do you come out on that? What, and, and believe me, I don't like, I've never been about that life. I'm not here to go, hey, choker, hey, choker. That's a, that's a harsh thing to say about pro athletes. And I, I never say it about really college athletes, if I can help it, because they're college athletes. I used to say back in the day, they're not paid, so I would never say that. Well, now they are paid. So maybe I'll be more inclined. But I, I've been really careful about ever, ever, ever saying that about college athletes. But professionals are professionals, and they are paid, and they're grown-ass people. I'm just going to ask you really quickly before I go to break. All right, so that's harsh. If that's not a choke job, what is? If that's not a choke job, then choking doesn't exist. I think we'd all agree that choking does exist. You don't believe me? Ask Bodie. You don't believe me? Ask me after a few almonds. Don't believe me? Ask the Bruins when they're up three games to one. After the best regular season ever. Don't believe me? Look at the look on their faces. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Let's go to Oxnard. Manny, what's going on, Manny? Diabolical pimp in the box. What is up? What's up, dude? I am happy you took my call, my friend. Hey, listen, uh, when the smack-off first began, it was known as the... uh, Great American Smack-Off back in 1995, Rome. Man, you have just blown up, as we used to say, back in the day. And the the initial winner was JT the Brick. And you know what? The winners back then got absolutely nothing. But they got crowned the King of Smack, which was amazing. And JT parlayed that into a big-ass job over there in uh, Vegas. So he's doing quite well. Hey, uh, Rome, I got to say, when last year's champ came in, Caleb, uh, he complained about having to pay thirteen hundred or so dollars of his five grand in prize money to the IRS. Hey, memo to Caleb, when you're still leeching off mom and dad at their home and living in the basement, you shouldn't be complaining about having to pay taxes like the rest of us, especially since that five grand was the only source of income you had last year. Hey, Rome, this series between the Warriors and the Lakers, it's going to be epic. I must admit. Uh, Kings fan was talking all kinds of smack and looking past the dubs, thinking they would light the beam after game seven and the Kings versus Lakers rivalry was about to be renewed. Sorry, Kings fan. You just couldn't put a stake through the Warriors heart and blow that team up. Hey, Steph Curry said, hell no, dropped a 50 piece on you. Hey, Jim, um, I'm not about to come in here and into this blowtorch of a show and make a lame ass prediction about the King Bear and his teammates, you know, becoming uh, so motivated after Dylan Brooks disrespected the greatest scorer of all time, along with one of the greatest franchises of all time in sports. And I'm guessing the Grizzlies are not happy with DB after poking LeBron and playing speed bag with his family jewels. 
And Rome, I got I got to admit I'm feeling a little under the weather, so excuse me for being a little shaky. But uh, since when's it, it is appropriate, Jim, for dudes in the NBA to smack guys in the package during a playoff game? I've seen inbounds passes, kicks, elbows, and hands smacking players. That's whack. Rome, just like Dylan Brooks and the Memphis Grizzlies, I am out. Nice job, Manny. Good to hear from you. Since when is it appropriate? Apparently, and now, now it's quite appropriate. Now when somebody doesn't get smacked in the package, I'm surprised. Almost disappointed. It happens all the time now. When did that become a thing? I don't know. This postseason? It's definitely a thing, though. It happens to us all. Ray in SA. Hey, Ray, what's going on? Hey, Jim. It's uh, it's Ray. It's the Stingray in SA. Matter of fact, the girls call me the Big Stingray in SA. You know why, Jim? Tell me, Ray. And... Alvin, what are you waiting for, dude? Like that that... Not a very good call. Self-glossed. The girls call me the Big Stingray. Alvy, we don't call him the Big Stingray. Alvin's Alvin's explanation is we allow them to respond to why and then we run them. But it's not as funny when they run themselves. In Hawaii, my brother, Aloha, what's going on? Aloha, then smack. Mahalo for the vine. It's been a minute. A couple of things. Wardell, Stephen, Curry. Dropping 50, game seven. You quote Kobe on Steph. Serious calmness. When you can go right, left, juke, you have serious calmness and you have a serious problem. The guy's amazing. Kayvon Looney, amazing. He's a machine. Can't wait to see what he does to AD. As far as uh, Dylan Brooks, really quick, I want to touch on that. Can I get a drug test on Dylan Brooks? Yeah, I think you probably can. Hold on. Alvin, do you have it? There you go. Yeah. No moratorium on drug tests. Just to ask. (laughs) That's funny, Scott. I I don't know what's going on with your phone call, but let me just jump in there because you're cutting in and out with your audio. I don't think you were done, but I love that he just told me there's not a moratorium on the drug test. Just ask. There has never been anything more beaten down than the drug test back in the day. Like every single phone call for the better part of 10 years began with, can I get a drug test for? And the drug test was funny when it started. It, unless you're an old school or probably most of you don't even know. The drug test started because I would say, I would look at somebody and say, man, there's no way you would say or do something like that unless you were so high. There is no way that person would say or think or do that unless they were out of their minds. Can I get a drug test for that guy? Drug drug test. In fact, that's not even an Alvin creation. That had to have been a Whitey Albers creation. That is somebody urinating into a toilet as part of their drug test. Well, into a cup held over a toilet. Let's go to Illinois. Jimmy. Good to have you, Jimmy. How are you? I'm good, Rome. Thanks for taking the call. I just have a clarification. I did a spell check, and uh, you can't spell diabolical without D-B, as in Dylan Brooks. This guy has become one of the biggest clown shows in sports. I'm not even a fan of LeCap, but I loved watching LeCap shutting this guy's mouth. And the, the Grizzlies were the young dark horse of last year, and the window, as quick as it opened, Maybe shutting fast because the Sack Kings aren't going anywhere. The Nuggets, the Suns, they're here to stay, even the Warriors. So, Dylan Brooks, I got a message for you. Whatever you've got to say, keep dodging the media because we don't want to hear it anyway. I'm out, Rome. Rack him. I like that call. I'll tell you why I like that call. Rack him. I like the way he ended that. You know, given what you have to say, keep dodging the media because we don't want to hear it. Dylan Brooks did the impossible. Dylan Brooks did something that I never thought that I would ever see. He turned people into Laker and LeBron fans. That is not easy to do if you're not a Laker fan already or a Braun fan already. 
Because if you're not, essentially, you can't stand either. And he was able to turn those haters into Laker fans. That's how sorry that act was. Man, that is near impossible to do. He got haters to like LeBron in the Lakers. And still owning none of it at all. Good job, Jimmy. Who else wants in? Just banging telephone calls. I've got Ross Tucker coming up next segment. He's going to need some room. Stucknuts in. Stucknuts in. Debalco in Boston was not well recepted. Signed Joey in New Bedford. Romy, what's going on? What's up? I was going to start my call with Jim. My name is, but I wasn't sure how that would be recepted. I didn't want to catch a buzzer. Debalco. I was, Romy, what's going on? I was going to start this way, but I didn't know how well that would be recepted. Romy, what's going on? What's up? I was going to start my call with Jim. My name is, but I wasn't sure how that would be recepted. I didn't want to catch a buzzer. You didn't want to catch a buzzer? Ross, what's going on? How you feeling, dude? Jim, I am feeling fantastic. Uh, love the draft. I'm almost a little sad that it's over. It's so much fun, but always good to be on with you and talk about it. I love that. All right, so why don't we start first with the Eagles portion because you were a part of the draft coverage. And, of course, Howie Roseman, Ross, drafted three more Georgia Bulldogs, including defensive standouts Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. He made a deal for a former Bulldog and running back DeAndre Swift. What are we talking about here, Ross, Georgia North, Philly Bulldogs, and then what kind of marks do you give the Eagles overall for that draft? Yeah, I mean, Jim, it's wild at this point, right? I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, we used to laugh about Belichick bringing in all those Rutgers guys. I mean, at, at least the Eagles are bringing in guys from the team that won the last two national championships <laughs> instead of Rutgers at this point. But no, I mean, obviously, um, if you looked at any mock draft, Jim, I, I, I would encourage any of your listeners, look at a mock draft and see how many – Jalen Carter was still available at nine or 10, right? I And I didn't see a single one where Nolan Smith was still there at 30. And even these psychos who I love that do like seven round mock drafts, no chance Keely Ringo was still there in the fourth round in any of them. So it's kind of hard to argue with them taking guys that everybody thought would go earlier you know, obviously, the entire league didn't agree. There were some concerns these guys had. I think the Eagles kind of feel like, Jim, those concerns are mitigated a little bit because of the culture they have there, because of how good of a team they have there, and frankly, because they have their other teammates there from last year and this year, like N'Kobe Dean and Nolan Smith, who are considered really high-character guys. So if there's a question there, as it relates to Jalen Carter, which we know there is, or even Ringo, you know, I think there's a better percentage chance that they have success in Philly than probably if they went anywhere else. I think you're right. Ross Tucker is joining us. Ross, one more thought about that and about that team. What do you make? NFL Network's Peter Schrager suggested sometime around 6.30 p.m. Eastern that some of the NFL's other GMs are slightly upset and envious of all the national run and praise that Howie Roseman is getting. What do you make of that? What's your response? Well, it doesn't surprise me that they feel that way. It surprises me that they actually verbalized it to Peter, right? I mean, you know, everybody, I don't care what anybody says, people get jealous and everybody's saying Howie Roseman's the best GM and he's the number one ranked GM. And by the way, he is and he should be. But for you to be that insecure, Jim, that you're saying to Peter Schrager, uh, why, why is he getting all this praise? Why is everybody always loving Howie so much? I don't know anonymous GM, maybe because he's the best at what he does right now. Maybe because the Eagles had the best roster in franchise history last year and the best roster in the league. They didn't win it. They lost the Super Bowl, but they had the best roster. And maybe because even though they were in the Super Bowl, they still had a top 10 pick, which by the way, Jim, no team has had since 1992. No team that went to the Super Bowl had a top 10 pick like the Eagles this year, and they got arguably the best player in the draft in Jalen Carter. Nolan Smith, most people thought was going to go to Atlanta at 8 or potentially even to Philadelphia at 10. And then even with all that, Eagles fans, some of them, Jim, wanted B. John Robinson. They go out and they get DeAndre Swift. Now listen, I love Miles Sanders, okay? Miles Sanders is making $6.5 million a year now from the Carolina Panthers. DeAndre Swift is very comparable to Miles, 
and probably better in the passing game, he's making $1.7 million. I mean, the four running backs for the Eagles now are making a little over $5 million, less than Miles Sanders makes per year. I don't know what I don't know what you want us in the media, what us media types to say about Howie Roseman when the proof is in the pudding over and over and over again. And you know what I think is interesting about it, Jim, is most of the GMs are like former players. You know, they play D3 college or whatever, which is great. Love it, D2, and then they got into scouting. Howie Roseman's like the total opposite. Howie Roseman, I don't even know if he played high school football. He definitely didn't play college football. And then he came up on the finance side as a salary cap guy. And I got to be honest with you, Jim, I think some of these GMs, I think it really bothers them that a uh, salary cap nerd is killing them. Ross, you can go ahead and walk off on that, except don't. You're so right. I, I believe that 100%. I think that's got a lot to do with it, that a non-quote football guy is getting all this run, all this positive, all these accolades, and they hate it. They hate it. And you're right. I, like, I love Sanders, man. I love him. But I can't argue against what you just said. When you look at the value that they have with Swift right now, we're talking to Ross Tucker. It's so true. Listen, let me ask you. I'm going to jump way ahead to this now. You are a Princeton man, so I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that your alma mater produced the only Ivy selected when the Bengals took receiver, Andre Yoshivas. Does he have a legitimate chance to make the 53-man roster and be a contributor to the Natty? Where do you come out? By the way, like we've got callers, okay, that can't even say the right word, recepted or whatever. <laughs> Yet Jim does the preparation man. to make sure he knows how to pronounce Yosivash. I mean, if that's not the most NHL sounding name of a football player I've ever heard, Andre Yosivash. And the fact that you know that and some of the callers can't even pronounce actual words is unbelievable to me. Uh, that is very impressive, Jim. Yeah, he'll make the team. I mean, look, here's the thing. He could be training for the Olympics right now. He got fourth in the heptathlon. <laughs> he set the record in the 60 meters. Like, this guy's a certified freak at 6'3", 210. I actually thought he'd go a little bit higher. Jim, he never played spring football. He was always doing track, right? So you go to the Ivy League, and then you're not even doing spring football 6'3", 210, he can run, he can jump. Uh, very excited to see what he ends up doing in the Bengals' offense. You know, maybe not this year, but down the line. Love it. Ross Tucker joining us. So, Ross, let me go back. After a painful night in the green room in the first round, Will Levis finally went in the second round early on to Tennessee. What do you make of the entire Levis saga? Huh. You know, that's an interesting one. And I said before the draft, I really thought he would fall. And you can check everywhere, Jim. Check my social media at Ross Tucker NFL, I thought he would fall, and here's why. There was only three teams we knew were getting a quarterback, right? And that was obviously the Panthers, the Texans, and the Colts. And I, I compared Will Levis to Kmart, Jim, and here's why. My dad was a sales guy for like 30 years, right? He would sell to like, you know, Rite Aid and Walmart and Target. And, and I remember when Kmart was going out of business, my dad was like, yeah, Kmart's in trouble. I said, why? He's like, they're in the middle. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, if you want the least expensive thing, you go to Walmart. If you need something for your house and you want something maybe a little bit nicer, you go to Target or like Target, Jim. Um, hey, who, who goes to Kmart? Nobody goes to Kmart. That was Levis's problem, right? Like if you wanted the polished pocket passer who's ready to go, you're not going to take Levis. You're going to take C.J. Stroud. If you want the upside, like you're shooting for the stars, you want the guy that's huge, can run fast, big arm, you go with Anthony Richardson. What, what would be the argument for drafting Levis? Like Levis isn't the high upside guy, and he's not the ready-to-go polished guy. Levis got stuck in the middle like Kmart. I think it's a great analogy. Ross, let me ask you about your dad. You mentioned that. I did not know that your dad was a salesperson. What did he sell exactly, and what did he think about that life? So he sold uh, chocolate Easter bunnies. Um, it was for the R.M. Palmer Company, which, unfortunately, they were in the news recently, Jim. They had an awful, awful accident at the factory that I've been to double-digit times in my life, um, and some people lost their lives. So 
I'm still thinking about all those people at RM Palmer and West Treading, Pennsylvania. Um, you know what's so funny, Jim? So, you know, he I think he liked it. I think the travel got to him at times. But um, two things that you'll appreciate about my dad traveling. He's probably gone two or three nights a week my whole upbringing, right? Hmm. Number one, anytime my dad was away, which was a lot, we were going to Wendy's because my mom loved the salad bar at Wendy's. To the point, Jim, I'm in fifth grade. We'd walk into Wendy's and Donna would be like, Hi, Sandy. Hi, Bryn. Hi, Ross. Like the people at Wendy's knew our name because my mom thought she was eating healthy by eating the Wendy's salad bar all the time. The second part of that is because my dad worked for a chocolate Easter bunny company. That's all we got for Easter. So like that sounds awesome, right? Oh, your dad, chocolate Easter bunny company. Yeah. Guess what? On Easter, like I wanted some jelly beans. I wanted some like tropical starburst and Skittles delicious. <laughs> I would love some pe Reese's peanut butter cups. Like after a while, those hollow, I got nothing wrong. Look, that, that helped me go get paid to be able to go to college, right? I got nothing wrong with hollow chocolate Easter bunnies. But when you're 12, like you don't want to have five Peter Rabbit chocolate Easter bunnies. Like, can I please get a Starburst or get a Reese's peanut butter? Give me a Snickers, anything. God, it's so true. You know what you should have done? You should have gone to the drugstore, bought some Starbursts, and jammed them in that hollowed-out Easter bunny and then made your own creation. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, right? I got to do something, man. So those are, those, those are the two things that I take away the most from your childhood, from my dad's uh, chocolate Easter bunny sales career. <laughs> hey, Rosh, really quickly. So let me bounce this off you. Mother's Day is coming up. Do you know what would be an incredible present since you mentioned your mother? She took you to Wendy's and always hit that salad bar. Do you know? In fact, I'm not even going to give, I won't even let you answer because I have the answer. It's my front page gift. Do you know about this? Have you heard about this product? Do you know what it is? I, I am vaguely aware, yes, of myfrontpagestory.com. By far the best Mother's Day gift ever. I mean, my people don't even know what to get their mom. You know what, Jim? It's funny. People really don't know what to get their wife for Mother's Day, like the mother of their kids. Go to myfrontpagestory.com. You either fill out an email or talk to one of their writers for 10 minutes. They literally write the most unbelievable story about your mom or your wife. It looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. Pictures of you and your siblings or your wife and the kids, whatever. When they open it up, Jim, and you're like, I want to do something special for you. So I had a story written about you. They think that you like hired Mitch Album or somebody to write. Like they don't, they don't know that this is some company you can do this with. And then when she reads the quotes, like my sister, when we got it from my mom, said, I wouldn't be the woman I am today if it weren't for my mom. Just bawling, like bawling, Jim. And I was just at my mom's house this weekend. It's hanging up. She's got like one of those condo deals that everybody that's over 70 years old has. And she's got it hanging up right in her like, family room, kitchen, uh, whatever deal is my mom's myfrontpagestory.com. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. Myfrontpagestory.com. Most of the Jungle listeners already know about it, but I know a lot of you still haven't got it. And it's May. Mother's Day's next week. You got to go. Myfrontpagestory.com. It's incredible that after all this time that I actually misspoke. You know I left out the story. Myfrontpagestory.com. You know, it's like like Hemingway wrote it. Like Fitzgerald wrote it. Like some of the best. Like Steinbeck wrote it. It's amazing. Really quickly, Ross, what do you make of Aaron Rodgers' first week in New York? And all this talk about, oh, man, Aaron, Aaron's going to clash. Man, Aaron's, Aaron's played this thing perfectly. He crushed his intro presser. He's at MSG a couple of times. How do you think that whole thing is going to play out for him, both on and off the field in New York? Well, so far, I would agree. It's going really, really well. Now, I do think it's funny that he went to the Rangers game. Most of the Jets fans I know like the Islanders, but I guess – there's some percentage that like the Rangers, some like the Devils, some like the Islanders. Obviously, everybody that lives out on the island likes the Islanders. But yeah, man, I mean, so far, so good. And uh, the Jets fans are loving every second of it. And I don't blame them at all. Now, I thought they had more leverage, Jim, than to give up what they did. I mean, a one and a two for a guy that you might pay $60 million to for one year. Now, there's some reports. I think maybe it was pro football talk that they're restructuring the deal in a way that pretty much guarantees that Aaron will play two years, that's gigantic. It, it can't just be one bite at the apple of this thing. That would be a – with what they gave up, they would have to win the Super Bowl 
for it to be worth it to me for one year. Now, if it's two years, that's a little bit different. But also keep this in mind, Jim. Anytime any GM trades future picks, future ones, my antenna goes up like that guy probably thinks he needs to win this year, right? I'd be the same way. If I'm Joe Douglas, year five for the Jets, and I think I'm on the hot seat, what do I care about next year's first round pick? If I get fired, I don't want the guy after me to do a good job anyway. Screw him. I'm, you know, I care about what's going on right now. So I understand why Joe Douglas did it. You know why, Jim? Because the Jets are going to make the playoffs. Woody John's going to be fired up because the first time they make the playoffs in 10 plus years and Joe Douglas is going to get a contract extension. So that one trade by Joe Douglas just probably got him another four years, $25 million to be the New York Jets GM. It's actually a genius for Joe Douglas. I think you're right, Ross. I mean, it has to be more than one year to justify that compensation. And to your point, yeah, I could see where he would do it. What does he care? If he's one and done himself, then he doesn't care what they gave up beyond that. But the owners should. The owners should. So I think you're right. I think they do get everything being equal if he stays healthy. I think they get a couple of years, but I think they have to get at least two years. He is a former NFL offensive lineman. He is an analyst for all the aforementioned. He is the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, and still nobody like him. Ross, amazing job. Appreciate you. Always good to have you in the jungle. Great job, Ross. Of course, man. Always great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Fee is short for Menifee. V. You made it in, dude. What's going on? Rome Town Buffet, my brother. What a weekend. Your Warriors, Jim, versus my Lakers. I could talk about that. I could talk about John Moron shooting his team out of the game and his take of I'm fine in the West, aging worse than the diarrhea that's left on the lawn of the Boston Marathon. Or I could talk about Dylan Bitch. Urgh. Dylan Bricks. Urgh. Dylan Brooks. Getting that 40-piece dropped on his head. Or maybe you should talk about the Wackermento Queens and their face, the face of their fan base, Ryan and Blue Sacktown. Where you been, my boy? You guys were lying the beam, tipping cows, looting farmhouses, flipping tractors when you guys were up 2-0, starting a riot in your city, and you guys have been dead quiet ever since. Oh, my goodness. Instead of lighting the beam, now they're leaving bouquets of tumbleweeds in front of the Golden One Center. RIP to the King season. Their best season in 17 years, and you blow a 2-0 lead. Even Ian Poulter thought you blew that pretty quick. But, no, I don't want to talk about that. What I do want to talk about is the most important thing that happened to the Lakers game on Friday night. Our guy, Jack Nicholson, came back and returned. And, man, did he get fat. Let's talk about his bucket list. It's been buckets of chicken, buckets of ice cream, and buckets of donuts. I mean, I was sitting by him, and I asked him, hey, Jack, do you want this fruit? And he said, fruit? I can't handle the fruit. And he took a donut and shoved it out of his face. V in the fee, out. Good night now!